Well, welcome everybody to the ninth episode of season two of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is still Michael Taylor, and I'm still a journalist, a politico, and the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. As ever, I'm joined by Mr. Happy Clappy, Mr. Positive himself, the Chris Only I I Only Publish Good News Maguire. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with good news, uh, Michael. You should uh, you should take a tip from me on that one. Um, what a week it's been, especially for the now former Conservative chair, chairman Nadim Zahawi, who we're going to talk a lot about. I later. think we called that one right. Yeah, absolutely. We did. Yeah, we did. We tipped it. It wasn't a hard one to predict. It's just a shame it took a week to happen. Um, we both attended the Convention of the North at Manchester Central last week, which was addressed by Leveling Up Secretary Michael Gove and uh, your favourite politician at the moment, Shadow Leveling Up Secretary Lisa Nandy, and was attended by all the region's metro mayors bar one. Can you guess which mayor was missing in action? That will be Ben Blocker-Houchen, Mayor of Teesside, fresh from blocking us and his growing number of critics on Twitter. So we're going to talk about the Convention of the North and other things this week. I think it's been a disastrous week for the Conservatives, but a few thank yous. First, starting with our friends at What Media, who produced this podcast. And it's nice to see What Media actually making the news as well. They're experts in video content. They've won three contracts in the last few weeks and months uh, to supply content for Lunio, London-based Web3 specialist, Roster, a Manchester-based intergalactic game, which is a great name for a company. Congratulations to them and uh, and uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, well done, What Media. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Oscar Technology and Lily Shippen. Oscar's consultants are truly specialists in the types of technical roles they work on. They're trained about all the technologies that are changing the world, all their candidates going for top jobs, and they use data and provide very valuable market insights for all their clients. So what trends are you seeing as a, as a tech journalist, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I speak to lots of companies and I was talking to Oscar last week and they're seeing a slight shift towards employers asking employees to work from their offices again after COVID. I'm certainly seeing that too. Uh, we'll talk about our other sponsor, Lily Shippen, in part two of Northern Spin. Uh, but we've got lots and lots of messages on Twitter and uh, I've just looked at Twitter now. We're recording this on Monday. We've had three new followers all saying they're listening to the show. Fantastic. Our listeners come from all over. We've had a lovely message from Joanne Lake in Stockport, whose Twitter handle is Joanne underscore Lake. She wears lots of different hats. She's mainly a writer, author and editor, and her husband is the ex-Manchester City legend, Paul Lake, and she co-wrote his widely acclaimed football biography, I'm Not Really Here. I've worked with Joe as well, full disclosure. She edited two, my two books, Northern Monkeys, A History of Northern Working Class Fashion, and my comic novel, 40 by 40. Though she didn't take all the rude words out. Uh, she's an absolute class act, and she's a big fan of our podcast, isn't she? Yeah, and she tweeted, uh, I adore this podcast. Michael and Chris are the sissy and Ada of political bandon. Is it is it pronounced bandonage? Must be. Must be, actually. Well, I mean, Joe will know. Maybe we should get Joe on the show, but uh, do you remember sissy and Ada? I must admit I don't. You're going to have to fill me in on this. Yeah. What's this all about? Well, I Googled it, actually. You know, this is one for the kids out there who listen to Northern Spin. So, um, sissy and Ada, a famous comedy drag act featuring two fictional housewives what? from Northern whoa, 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 England. Whoa, 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 whoa. Joe Lake was meant to be a friend of mine. What's going on here? You know, she says it's a compliment. No, what? she says she insists it's a compliment. Um, so this fictional uh, pair of housewives, Sissy and Ada, you'd remember the picture created by the famous, uh, great, late uh, Northern comedian Les Dawson and the actor Roy Barraclough, later found fame in Coronation Street in the 1970s and 1980s. She insists it's a compliment. Joe? Um... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. Yeah, fine. Good. Um, quick shout out to South Yorkshire Mayor Oliver Coppard, who we discussed on last week's On Manoeuvres uh, section of the podcast. He messaged us to say that he wouldn't be blocking us 
unlike Ben blocker Houchin up there in uh, Teesside. So we've got a lot to get through, Chris, in this week's podcast um, before we dissect all, all of the, uh, the news this week and provide some insights and, um, and generally comment and explain what's been going on in politics and as it affects people in the North. And particularly, uh, what was your overall assessment of the Convention of the North? Well, I think if the quality of an event is measured by the quality of the audience, this was a first-class event. I thought the speakers were excellent. The audience uh, was a who's who of the North. Uh, the host, uh, Evan Davis, was brilliant. I actually saw a tweet to say he doesn't take any money for that event, um, but uh, we're going to put us all out of business, uh, us hosts. But he was, he was brilliant. I think three-quarters of the North are now touched by devolution in one way or another. That's why the event is so important. We had Metro mayors from across the North. Um, both the Tories and Labour parties are committed to continuing um, devolution irrespective of what happens with the next general election. I couldn't stay after lunch because I was hosting a separate round table, um, but my overriding feeling was um, of the North coming together to improve the North rather than wait for the government. The Labour mayors recognised the value of working together. That was evidenced by them coming together um, and calling for train services run by Trans Pennines Express to be brought under public control after years and years yeah. of poor service. Um, what do you think? Well, there's TransPennine. There's also with anti-trains. That, that thing hasn't gone away. Northern Railway, of course, is under public control. And as I experienced myself this morning, their, one of their trains was cancelled, royally buggering up my morning. But anyway, without me grumbling on. So let's just take our listeners to this podcast on a bit of a journey and a little bit of an insight behind the scenes of the convention from our perspective of, as the media. So prior to the conference, actually Thursday, Friday, the week before, we got an embargoed press release uh, with very strict rules, very well put together by, uh, by a guy that works in the combined authority called in Manchester called Ross McRae, who's doing all the comms for it. And that press release was, was really pointed. It was flagging up the fact that there was an East German minister come to speak about you know, the whole German model, and it was demanding that the government hardwire into UK law a commitment to level up. Now, I took that very, very, very firmly, not only as a message to Michael Gove, who was speaking at the convention in the afternoon, in the morning, but to Lisa Nandy from Labour. Because let's face it, Labour are odds on at the moment to win the next election. So I took that to be saying devolution's here to stay, it's unstoppable, it's irreversible, and it needs to maintain that forward momentum to seek more and different powers. So then introducing the East German levelling up minister by video drew a comparison about the seriousness of those national missions and, the, and comparing that very unfavourably with the pork barrel pittances that were doled out last week, which we talked about on the podcast. So far, so good. Then we were told at the end of the morning session that there was going to be a press conference in a side room at Manchester Central where all the mayors were going to be getting up on a little stage, all the press were going to be stood around, the cameras were all lined up, and then eventually all the mayors trooped in. I'd, I'd been chatting to the journalists. None of us could really work out a very strong news line from Michael Gove's speech. We couldn't work out whether the the housing improvement grant was was just for Greater Manchester or for anywhere else. It didn't. It, it wasn't particularly clear. And then the doors opened. They flung open, and he walking in like Kevin and Perry, yeah. having come <laughs> back from Manchester in his casually dressed garb, was Andy Burnham leading a procession of mayors in. I don't know what the collective noun is yeah. for a bunch of mayors, but we'll we'll do, we'll go with profession procession. They wanted a headline. Something to show unity, to take the headlines away from that fairly, fairly long, wordy 
empty speech from Michael Gove, which the press pack was unsure about. So you probably liked it anyway. You're a big Go fan, aren't yeah. you? But we'll come on to weekend. that. Watched it the weekend several times. Call, calling for tra- they were calling for Trans Pennine Express to be stripped of its rail franchise, and that was the story that took fire. Cancellations, poor management, anger. Everyone had a stake in the delivery. Everyone had an emotional story to say about it, and it contrasted. You know, Trans Pennine Express is. Terrible, desperately bad performance contrasts with Steve Rotherham earlier in the week launching his shiny new train set in Liverpool. And it also sustained, let's not to forget, Tracy Brabin, who was due to be going on Question Time on Thursday. So that's the kind of political theatre that was going on. That was, the, that was the issue that really starts whatever all the big wordy, worthy stuff is around devolution. Actually, when it comes down to it, our train services are not fit for purpose. And that's an issue that you really unites all of our mayors, except Blocker Houchen. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Apart from your big lover, Michael Gove's speech. I, I agree with pretty much everything you've said there. Um, You're not meant to. No, 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 I you, do. You, I you, do. Because I tell you why. I tell you why. Because what the mayors recognise is that when they bring everybody together like this, they've got to have a line that people take away with them and that people remember. So they're very much on message, except for Blocker Houchin. Um, I think in terms of Michael Gove, Michael Gove is somebody who, um, and he did an interview with Rob Parsons of the Northern Agenda, and I messaged Rob afterwards to say it was a great interview. He was in the back of a taxi because Gove talks for 20 minutes and says nothing. You literally can't remember anything that he said. Uh, and that was, that, was, uh, that was true of his speech um, last week. Whatever you think of Gove, Gove, and he's got form for stabbing people in the back, he is a serious politician and he's absolutely committed to levelling up. That came across. He's a sort of, um, his speech was a bit dry, a bit dull if we're being honest. He doesn't do humour very well. What I thought was interesting is he literally just walked straight into his speech. There was no nicer, there was no nicer tease at the yeah, start. He was there on stage, wasn't he? He wasn't yeah. introduced. He, he wasn't was, yeah. good. No. I think he wanted to avoid Evan Davis saying, ladies and gentlemen, please give a very warm Manchester welcome to our keynote speaker today, the right honourable Michael Gove. And he'd yeah. walk up and he'd be... It'd just be you whooping <laughs> in the sidelines. The rest of the audience that would have you been... You'd be up there on your feet so as well. I, I think he would have... Um, I think he wanted to avoid that. Well, he avoided it because he literally yeah, 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 launched yeah, yeah. straight yeah. into a speech. Yeah. There was nothing at all. Um, in terms of uh, what he said, he, he used a football analogy to describe a country's over-dependence on London. And we have heard this before, but he said... And I'm paraphrasing um, what he said because um, he said, we mustn't be like a football team with a Lionel Messi-type star striker um, and a dodgy midfield and a dodgy defence. We, we've got to spread the love across the whole of the UK. There was a nod to Margaret Thatcher as well when he gave the example of London Docklands. The Docklands, by way of background, was a wasteland, but the government created, he says, the environment to attract the private sector investment, and the result is now home to Canary Wharf and a thriving business community. I think he sees levelling up the same way. They'll create the right environment, and then hopefully the private sector will come in. He also gave a couple of mentions to um, to Blocker Houchin as well, saying what a great uh, yeah, he did, you know, what a great mayor he yeah. was. So he's very, very careful. He's very, very careful to do that. But clearly, you agree that it was a great speech by Michael Gove. No, I don't. I thought it was a boring speech. Evan Davis had to remind him that he'd gone 10 minutes over time. And um, and I think it was florid. He, he does tell a good story. I thought his delivery was poor. I spoke to one Labour politician afterwards who said, I don't like Michael Gove, but frankly, I was embarrassed for him. I felt really sorry for him up there because he was absolutely floundering. Um, I can also tell, by the way, Chris, that like Michael Gove, you're not a serious football fan. That was a terrible footballing metaphor, typical Gove. But the, here's, here's the thing about Gove's speech that I particularly took from it. This section of the speech, I'm only slightly paraphrasing for reasons of brevity, something that Gove needed, a decent script editor. And it, this, this, this is what he said. Manufacturing de- 
Manufacturing declining over decades. Government, corporate and personal debt too high. That's that's Michael Gove, is it? Energy supplies insecure. Transport networks deprived of investment. A workforce with huge talent without the right skills and qualifications. Labour market constrained by lack of supply. I won't, I won't carry on doing yeah, that. No, no. Limited supply of capital. Regulation of financial services. It's like, whoa, hold on a minute, Govey. Wait till you find out who's been in power these last 13 years, if that's the state of the country that you're looking to level up and change. Just one thing I would say in terms of football, right? Okay, you are a massive Blackburn Rovers fan, absolutely. Um, I haven't got a team like you've got a team like uh, Blackburn Rovers, but I am a massive football fan, especially women's football, travel all over the country, as you know. Um, but yeah, it wasn't the best analogy. It was an obvious one about uh, Lionel Messi. As for Gove, he knows his audience, um, and I think the audience recognise that he is a player. He, he praised Andy Burnham. Um, I was disappointed to see that the levelling up minister, uh, Deanna Davison, failed to show again. That's two no-shows from her. Obviously, she's announced that she's not going to be standing at the next election. She's only 29. Um, she's the MP for Bishop Auckland. I was hosting an event in the afternoon, so I missed Lisa Nandy's speech, but I know you thought her speech wasn't as good as Michael Gove's. Well, no, I don't know why you think that. <laughs> you also tried to chide me at the beginning by describing Lisa Nandy as my favourite Northern politician. I've absolutely no idea why you would either say that or suggest it because I've given no indication. Okay. I think she's an interesting politician with a lot to say and she's written a very interesting and provocative book about uh, the opportunities for levelling up. But what she did say, um, she also stuck to a time slot, which obviously Gove didn't, what she, what she did, what you constantly on this podcast accuse Labour of not doing, which is articulating a very clear vision of what they would do differently. I thought bravely, she didn't promise the earth to the audience either. She read the room far better than Gove. And if I could identify one rumble that, uh, that comes out, came out of the audience was the disappointment of her citing Rachel Reeves as a future Iron Chancellor who said, we ain't going back to dishing out the money. And she also said, we're going to be asking a lot of people in this room. And she's right in a way. People have got to step up to the challenge of devolution. It's not just about the government writing checks for them to go away and do stuff or the cash machine culture that they had in the, in the days of the regional development agencies under new labor, but actually do something a little bit different. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think what you're seeing now with um, the Labour is you're seeing serious politics. You are seeing grown-up discussions. We're going to talk about it later in, uh, you know, sort of on manoeuvres. But um, I think you are seeing, I hope you're seeing Labour come up with policies alongside throwing brickbacks at the Tories, which I fully expect and they are richly deserve. I mean, you know, there's no shortage of material at the moment. Lisa Nandy is somebody that I actually I really like. Um, I think she's a politician who people know. Uh, I think she's a politician who people can sort of uh, relate to. There's quite an interesting discussion I heard this morning on uh, on the uh, Westminster show, and they were talking about who's going to take over from Nadim Zahawi as the Conservatives' um, chairman. And the point was made that in the cabinet, there are very few red wall MPs. And if you look at the shadow cabinet in the Labour Party, they've got a lot of red wall MPs. So you've got this feel that the Labour Party is more in touch with the North as well. Um, One of the ridiculous things I've heard, we'll talk about it later, maybe in the on manoeuvres section yeah. of the podcast, where we discuss politicians, where we try to give some insights onto what politicians really mean and what they're really saying when they do their speeches. One of them is your mate, Lee Anderson, tipped as a Tory chairman. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. But first, <laughs> that be ridiculous. but first, what did you think of Andy Burnham's performance at the uh, Convention of the North? 
Well, Andy Burnham is in his element in the North. He really is. Um, he looks in his element. He's, he sounds in his element. Um, we both do a lot of public speaking, and public speaking's not easy. Um, he, clearly, he's used to it. He's a politician, but he looks natural. He had a, he had a script in front of him because he did a Q&A with nine different panellists, including Vim, uh, one of our speakers from an earlier episode of Northern Spin Extra. Indeed. Um, he doesn't wear a shirt and tie. He wears trainers. He, uh, he, 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 uh, I got the impression... And I think he he conveys the impression that he can do business with Michael Gove, um, but he's not afraid to um, draw out some key battle lines. I, I I think I think Andy Burnham he is the king of the north, and he came across as a king. I thought. What did you think? Well, Paul Smith like denim buttoned up to the top, cords <laughs> added as gazelle trainers. He's definitely working hard on the acid dad look. Um, but uh, I think my mate Neil Summers, who I DJ with, is a fashion stylist and influencer. He needs to give Andy a little bit of a, some subtle style advice, I think. He's, he's, he's good. He rocks his look. I, I like his dark shirt, dark look, yeah. instead of wearing the usual Labour uniform. But um, anyway, moving on from Andy, Andy yeah. Burnham's tutorial yeah. choices. Yeah. I saw you pressing the flesh. You met Jamie Driscoll. Yeah, we, uh, we met Jeremy Corbyn's bit. mate. Yeah, we, well, that was really interesting, actually, because Jamie Griscoll is the first ever North of Tyne mayor. Yeah. Uh, he was voted uh, May 2019. And there was, a, there was a story in The Guardian, which I read, which was, um, you know, that uh, Jamie Corbyn's mate, you know, Corbynista. Uh, I think he used to be a nightclub bouncer, et cetera, et cetera. He's now best bosom buddies with Michael Gove, et cetera, because they've got this deal for devolution done in the Northeast. And he actually said, look, Chris, the funny thing is, he said, I ran businesses, um, you know, I did all these things before. He said, I'm massive on charity. And he said, the thing that the press like to highlight is the fact that I, uh, you know, uh, my links with Jamie Corbyn. So, so just for full disclosure. So it's, like, I actually, it's like Zorba the goat. Yeah. Botherer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, um, anyway, I, I chatted to him only for about five, 10 minutes. Um, enjoyed the chat. He confirmed his intention to become the uh, first Northeast mayor. He said that, um, he actually said that I'm not going to do a um, David Cameron and basically start something that I'm not prepared to finish. Um, uh, he's thrown his hat in the ring, as has the Northumbria Police and Crime Commissioner, Kim McGuinness, who we tipped as being on manoeuvres a couple of weeks ago. She's been all over Twitter uh, telling the world what she's been doing as well. So watch that one with interest because obviously they're both trying to become the latest. Candidate. Yeah, just just to reset for our for our listeners, the northeast at the moment has a mayoral combined authority for something called North of Tyne, which includes a few different like Northumberland and some of those places, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Teesside, which is where or Tees Valley, where we've got Ben Houch and Blocker. Block, Blocker Ben as the mayor. So it's not the exact footprint of the former One Northeast Regional Development Agency area of the kind of northeast of England. But it's a bigger chunk of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Sunderland, yeah. Newcastle, places like that. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that no disrespect to Jamie Driscoll, he's got a relatively small catchment area. It's significant, but 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 under this new devolution deal, which is reputed to be worth 1.4 billion, I mean, that that makes him a significant player. And I know this sounds like a, you know, a strange thing to say, but when you look at like Newcastle Football Club at the moment, you know, that gives a real profile to the area. And I think it needs a uh, it needs a bigger catchment area for the yeah, mayor as the well. Jordination. Absolutely. And it'll be really interesting to see, assuming it's a straight to shootout between Jamie Driscoll, um, you know, and Kim McGuinness, who gets the Labour vote. Um, one of the things that came out loud and clear from the convention was the need for areas 
big geographical areas who, which haven't got a metro mayor to get one uh, and get one quickly as well. We've spoken about it before. I mean, Lancashire, it's massively, massively missing the boat. I mean, the um, the uh, the leader of Lancashire County Council, she was uh, one of the speakers, didn't speak into a microphone, actually. And I don't know whether or not Lancashire's still committed to getting a metro mayor. They're committed to devolution, at least they say they are. But I think they're going to find it very, very difficult not to have an elected mayor. Yeah, I read into that. And in fact, Business Desk did a, did a news story about it because Lancashire put a press release out saying how much she is looking forward to working with Michael Gove and Deanna Davidson and how much she enjoyed being part of the Convention of the North, picture with the Lancashire delegation. Um, Philippa Williamson, isn't it? A councillor yeah, from right. La Lancaster Rural, which is where near where, uh, where I grew up. But... Um, I think it stopped very, very short of looking for a combined authority and a mayor. I think they're just happy to defend their own power bases at the moment. And they, they actually think that the, what's going to kill off the idea of a metro mayor for Lancashire is the fact they did quite well out of, um, out of um, the levelling up doling out last week. The you know, they got their Eden Project money. They got some up for Accrington, some up for Blackpool, parks in Preston, cycle lanes in Blackburn, wipe the hands, job done, we don't need a mayor. Look how amazing it is having a Tory leader of a county council. Lancashire I was also surprised that she didn't join the mayors in that statement about Transpennine, but maybe she wasn't invited. The thing is, Lancashire, and there are other areas as well, areas of Cheshire as well, I think Hull has been cited as well. You can't keep kicking this can down the road. Either you're in for devolution and everything that it brings with it, or you're not. Now, what else do you want to talk about in the world of politics before we talk national? Well, it's the red-hot Randy Rocker Rod himself <laughs> with his leopard print and tousled blonde hair. He's, uh, he's called for the Tories to stand down and give Labour a chance. Surely you've got to agree with that i don't want to talk about it oh very good <laughs> yes well the first cut is the deepest day eh? yeah. um do you like rod stewart um i do actually he's probably on my playlist um <laughs> he's, he's he's over the age of 70 so he's going to be on my uh, spotify probably on your spotify as well um yeah i think it's quite interesting actually how how people in you know, celebrities i know they don't like the term but how celebrities are starting to join the political debate. We're going to talk about Carol Vorderman later. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's very, very hard to defend the Conservatives. I mean, Rishi Sunak's come up for 100 years now, 100 years, feels like 100 years, 100 days uh, as PM. I think this last week has been his worst week by a long chalk. I think the honeymoon period, if indeed he had one, is definitely over. So could we just please ask for a moment of silence and contemplation? Yeah the state of mind of Chris Maguire yeah. to reflect the deep, deep disappointment he's got that yeah. Rishi Sunak's had a terrible week. He has had a terrible week, yeah. He, not as bad as you think he has, but he's had a terrible week. People don't care about, in my opinion, people don't care about the seatbelt fine. That's just, um, you know, that, 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 that's, that, that's about piffle, to quote Boris Johnson. Um, but the Nadim um, Sahawi affair, that is truly dreadful. Now, I said, I went on Twitter, um, you know, last week, and I said that he won't see out the week. He hasn't. Uh, I'm not su suggesting that I'm some sort of uh, Nostradamus. You know, it was pretty obvious to me. Um, at best, at best, Nadim Zahawi was economical with the truth. Um, this uh, ethics advisor has come back with a very quick investigation. Uh, I think they found seven areas where Nadim Zahawi was um, not the most forthcoming with uh, what happened. Um, Sunit got the message on Sunday. He sacked him. So he sacked him within a week of organising, of, of, of ordering the investigation. So you could argue he's allowed due process to take place, but everybody knew this was going to happen. Um, are you going to jump to Sunit's defence? Well, of course I'm not. No, yeah. I think um, quite rightly he's, 
he's, he's had to take a decision that was obvious about two weeks ago that Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs did not meet the standards that Rishi Sunak had set for himself as a government of honesty and probity. So for that reason, he had to go. I mean, did you see the letters that they sent to each other? Yeah. Basically praising him. And then Zahawi's completely tin-eared defense of his own position and use it as an opportunity to attack the media. Well, I would agree and disagree. I think actually, <laughs> if you read Rishi Sunak's letter, he was pretty damning. Yes, he spoke about the fact that praising his contributions of vaccine minister and this, that and the other. But if you look at the top half of it, he's basically saying, you have not told me the full story. And as a consequence, I am sacking you. If you look at Zahawi's response, that is dreadful. You know, he makes no reference to his tax affairs. He basically blames the media um, and it's tin-eared is the right description for him. I'll be interested to see, I mean, he, he has to go and he has to stay out of politics. And uh, There's even calls I heard uh, on the Westminster show about having the whip removed from him as well. And actually, let's give some praise to journalists as well, because that wouldn't have happened if the journalists who he hadn't threatened with legal action over possible defamation hadn't stuck to it and, um, you know, and actually won the day. Um, bit of a lesson there. If you threaten journalists with legal action, sometimes they get a little bit uppity and they might actually come after you. Just yeah. hold that thought. Anyway, um, we once got, certainly, we once got threatened with legal action by Michel Moon. Did we? Yeah, no, we, we did. did. No, we did. We did. Yeah, we did it to a business cloud. We got a letter. It was, it was, it was loosely veiled, um, but it was there. Um, and all that does is it makes you think, hang on a minute. So you know, to hide. Yeah, it, what, you just think to yourself, I'm not going away. You know, I, I've been a journalist for 30 odd years, you know, like you. I believe that there's a process to go through. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in my experience. Right. Just come back to Sunak again. I yeah. think the Labour attack line at recently, I think they've clearly run this through focus groups and it's, is the Prime Minister <laughs> starting to think that this job is actually a little bit too big for him? I think that is a killer line. I mean, it's devastating. Do and his his lack of sure-footedness and his slightly wooden appearances and his inability to deal with complex or straight straightforward moral decisions that are consistent with what he's outlined his own standards to be i think it exposes him and i think labor are quite right to keep pushing on that line because he's going to have real trouble shifting that perception in the public's mind's eye i want to weak, weak 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 and he's also a prisoner of his own party the party <laughs> never elected him Right. Okay. There's a whole rump of MPs and members of the Conservative Party who want Boris Johnson back. Right. They're, they're all the ones who feel really stupid, but still they got you know they, um, they you know they elected Liz Truss over him. Yeah. So where are his people? I don't think he's 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 not got a really deep and core constituency in the Tory party. So he's constantly having to throw red meat to the likes of the Baying Gullis and all them lot, the thick right. I don't think. I don't think he is doing an awful job. I Honestly, I don't. He inherited an awful situation and he's trying to make the best of it. Um, did, did you hear the Westminster rounds this morning? I, I was listening to it on the train while I was delayed this morning. They had a Tory MP and I didn't catch her name, but I think it was probably Helen Whateley, a, a junior health minister, yeah. talking about health service reform. And she actually sounded like the comedian Rosie Holt, yeah. who plays a backbench Tory MP making limp excuses. She's not the best person to be put up for a round of calls. The reason she probably was on the calls is that the uh, government have announced today a series of virtual clinics to try and tackle the problem with A&E waiting lists. So that's the reason she was probably on there for. Um, I thought there were a couple of things. I think 
you're right with Labour. I mean, it was interesting when I listened to um, in Prime Minister's Questions Time and Keir Starmer basically said, is this job too big for you? And half the room thought, are they having a go at Rishi Sunak's height or is it a reference to the fact that you're just not up to the job? I think actually it was a mixture of two. Sunak's tactics are pretty clear, right? He wants to deal with problems a few at a time. Hence, he's got his five pledges, most of which I think he can probably reach, especially in relation to inflation uh, and, and hopefully growth. The problem he's got is he's not really fixing the problems. And every time he, he gets close to getting some good news, i.e. he tries to put out some good news regarding levelling up, it just seems to spawn a load more problems. The one with Nadim Zahawi is a case in point. Now, you've got other problems down the tracks uh, which are heading towards him pretty quickly. Boris Johnson, uh, again, um, his resignation honours list, you know, that, that that's going to be really embarrassing, I think. There's suggestions, I read a report, there could be a hundred... I saw that. That's a amazing. hundred different 100. people getting honest. You'll probably get one. Um, another date to keep on your diary, February the 9th, which is when the by-election for West Lancashire takes place, following the resignation of Rosie Cooper. That's very much seen as a safe Labour seat. But if the Tories get pasted, that could be bad news for Sunak as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot happening out there. But it's not all, it's not all flowers and light. Labour. I, I don't understand what you mean. Well, well they're, they're going to get absolutely pasted. Yeah, the Tories in the West Lancashire by-election. I, I think they're probably already priced, priced that in. So go on. Why, why is why is it not all flower and roses for Labour? Last week you gave me some stick, right? Okay, not for the first time. When I asked, I had the audacity to ask you a question challenging Labour. And I said to you, where are Labour's policies? And it was in Sorry, response. It who's was in the response. one person on this podcast so far who's criticised a Labour politician's speech? Yeah, well, I, I've criticised Labour. You know, I've criticised Labour. I've criticised Conservatives as well. Angela Rayner spent all of last weekend basically on Twitter commentating on every single Tory politician and problem that they've got. I get that. I yeah, 100% and get she's that. she's good at it. I 100% get it's that. It's politics, Chris. But, but what I'm saying is where are the policies? And that was a point that I raised oh, on God. episode eight of the Northern Spin. And you chided me for that. You chided me. Now, let me finish. Um, last week, that's what I said last week. Anyway, Keir Starmer has told his MPs that they're players, not TV pundits. According to, Hen um, um, according to Henry Zeffman of The Times, Starmer was pleased with a kerfuffle, I love that word, over West Streeting's GP reforms because it was a row on their terms. Now, the message is pretty clear. Two messages. One, Keir Starmer's people listen to me on the Northern Spin podcast and you don't. Secondly, Labour recognised they can't just be commentators. They've got to come up with policy, which is why what Lisa Nandy did is in direct response to what I said last week on the Northern Spin. I mean, even you've got to accept that, Michael. No, I don't think you listen to a word that I say on this podcast. Starmer wants his team to be focused on delivery and government, right? That's why him and Rachel Reeves were in Davos, yeah? That's why Jonathan Reynolds has been working the circuit of the business community, the smoked salmon offensive that we've spoken about on this podcast. It's why West Streeting is talking about NHS reform, yeah? This is not... This is why David Lammy is working the circuit as a, as a shadow foreign secretary. It's talking about what Labour in government will be like. But it does not mean that they can't continue to hold the Tories to account and point out to people what they can see in front of them, which is that the Tories are in an absolute mess. And the Nadim Zahawi incident was a perfect example of that. A week ago, Rishi Sunak was, refer was trying to brush it off and refer to Zahawi as my friend, my right honourable friend. A week later, he was just the minister. Then he's binned him off completely. Mm. So what do you got? 
Yeah. Well, what do you I've, got? I'll tell you what I've got. I've got the news <laughs> that uh, that's the end of uh, part one of Northern Spin. We'll be back after this interval. Welcome back to the second part of Northern Spin. Now, Michael, you've interviewed thousands, probably millions of CEOs and MDs during your career. In your experience, how important is a personal assistant or an executive assistant? Well, I'm not lying, Chris, when I say that many chief execs, MDs and vice chancellors of, of universities couldn't function without their personal assistant, their executive assistant, their office manager. And a lot of business leaders I know use them as a real sounding board for making huge strategic decisions. Couldn't agree with you more, Michael. Lily Shippen is a specialist recruitment agency for HR and business support staff. With bases in Manchester and London, Lily Shippen recruit a range of roles, including from executive assistants, personal assistants, office managers, receptionists, HR business partners, and many more. They work with businesses of all sizes across the regions. They're experts in placing exceptional people with exceptional businesses. They don't just know how to recruit HR and business support staff, but more importantly, they know when to recruit. So if you're an MD, a CEO, or a business leader in the North or elsewhere, remember the name, Lily Shippen. Right. Before we talk about On Manoeuvres, which is the section where we try to describe what we think politicians are really up to, what's going on behind the scenes, why they say it, when they say it, and why that's important, we're going to talk about a few other people and someone that we've mentioned before on this podcast. Chris's mate, Lee Anderson, the MP for Ashfield. Actually, it's worth saying as well that on manoeuvres, it's not necessarily just politicians, is it? It's people that we think are on manoeuvres. Oh, that's a tease, Chris, for Absolutely. what's coming up. Absolutely. Yeah, Lee Anderson. I mean, a lot of people think I'm obsessed by Lee Anderson. Or, no, you do. He's a Conservative MP for Ashfield. If I was obsessed by Lee Anderson, I would know that he's lost two pounds of weight uh, since he went on a Twitter diet two weeks ago. He's now lost five pounds in total. But I don't know that sort of uh, tittle-tattle. Now, I've made this point before. He's trying to retain his Conservative seat by creating his own narrative. He went to a migrant camp in Calais last week. He's only recently gone on Twitter. He went on Twitter in December. And he's sending out these videos of his own experiences. And he's accused charities of being complicit in the problem, uh, as complicit as the smugglers themselves. Unsurprisingly, GB News featured it. Now, I think you'll see more Tory MPs try and set their own agenda by using social media in this way and by doing things themselves, just like Lee Anderson. Uh, yeah, I think you might be right, but I'm a bit confused as to why you're still going on about this thug i'm thinking you're uh, got a bit of a crush on the <laughs> thick right-wing gammons yeah. are you a member of his nazi scooter club in derbyshire that no. he likes to uh, big up on twitter no 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 and actually just for the sake of riders or something just for the sake of just for the sake of full disclosure i'm not an apologist for him but he appeared in a picture and on the picture in the background, somebody had a T-shirt which made mention of that. He wasn't endorsing that as well. No, I think he was, Lee Anderson... He was describing them as great lads. I think Lee Anderson uh, wouldn't want me to have a crush on him. I certainly know my wife wouldn't want me to have a crush on him as well. I'm just making the point that what you're seeing is more and more Conservative MPs trying to set their agenda in, in marginal seats to try and distance themselves from the political party, which they know is struggling. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about which politicians, which people in public life we think are on manoeuvres. And by that we mean, what are they doing and, what, um, and what's our interpretation of why they're doing it? So the first one we're going to talk about is the Greater Manchester Mayor, Andy Burnham. And do I hear the sound of a Maguire happy clappy U-turn? No, 
No, it's not a uh, it's not a U-turn actually. It's more of a slight rethink and redirection. So you so, think he'll be getting his shiny blue suit on and his what and his white shirt and heading down to Westminster with David Miliband, don't I, you? I've gone on record as saying that I think he will be part of the next Labour government. I'm convinced of it. I think Labour need him and I think he's got unfinished business. However, however, what I'm going to say is this is that I watched him at the Convention of the North um, last week and he speaks with such passion and it's genuine passion. That was a great actor. Um, that I'm not sure he could actually leave the North. He's so excited by the planned reforms to the city buses, which start in September this year. Uh, in terms of levelling up, he says, you know, true levelling up can only be done from the bottom up. He also called for a funding formula for the North, similar to what they've already got in uh, Wales and Scotland. It made me laugh, actually, because Burnham retweeted a tweet that was in the Huff Post saying that he'd been, I quote, slapped down by Labour for calling for Scottish-style funding for the North. And he said, quote, slapped down for daring to suggest a funding formula to give people in the North equal living standards. I don't think so. Um, so he just knows his audience. He knows the North. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he got a role in the next government with a special Northern brief. Do you think... Andy Burnham is on manoeuvres. I think Andy's always on some kind of manoeuvres because I think he's a wily politician. I'm just pleased that, and in fact, it was Labour List, which is like an insider's Labourish website, which obviously you think I spend all day on. Yeah. Um, um, but I think, yeah, he definitely is. But what I detected last week, and I agree with you here, I think he was on manoeuvres on behalf of the mayors to try and cement into the public imagination and into the mind of Lisa and Andy that we ain't going anywhere. This is, it's not just irreversible, it's actually progressive and it's going to the next stage and the next stage after that. And uh, I talked to Richard Lease about this, incidentally, at the, uh, at the convention. And, uh, you know, and he's got the battle scars from working with Labour governments in the past when, you know, I remember him with a banner outside Manchester Central Library saying, move over Darling, protesting yeah. against Alistair Darling, the then Chancellor who wasn't giving, or the Transport Secretary, who wasn't funding Manchester's transport um, improvements. So yeah, Andy's always on the move, but I think what's refreshing is he's not doing this with a view to, you know, taking over from Keir Starmer should things go very badly. I think he's doing it. I think he's, he's doing it because... Um, you know, he, he realises that he's the most visible, voluble and articulate spokespeople for, for the group of mayors. Well, we're in agreement there. So that's one for the collector's items. Um, Go but, on. What? what uh, who else do you think's on manoeuvres? Well, OK. Look, or, just, or, just or, say... Or your very uh, flawed no, interpretation of what you think just on say, manoeuvres means. Just say you decided to organise a, um, a dinner party at, uh, at uh, Marple. OK. And you had politicians knock on your door to join you in your dinner party, you and Mrs Taylor. OK. And the first knock on the door is, which politicians would you absolutely slam the door in their face? Who would you least like to come to your dinner party? Um... Interesting. I was thinking about this when you when you posed the question, and I was thinking of inviting William Rag round for a brew because he's standing down as our MP. Okay. And I always got on quite well with William. He's um, spoken about his issues with depression, isn't he? Yeah, he has. Yeah, and he's had a tough time of it. Um, and I, I always got on all right with him. And he, he bought me a drink when I got selected as Labour's candidate to stand against him. I think he was quite pleased that Labour were going to put a fight up and chip away at the Lib Dems. Him and the Lib Dem candidate absolutely loathe each other. So he's in. So William so I'd have William in, round for a brew. But who, who would you not have round for a brew? Well, nearly all of them. I'm very private and I don't really like people coming at my but, house. But if for the sake of this podcast, you know, and we want to try and bring it to a conclusion in the next three hours, if you had a couple of politicians that you didn't want to uh, invite round for a brew, and what biscuits would you have round your house? Well, we've got builders in at the moment. So um, we've got 
we, we're, we're buying biscuits on an industrial scale <laughs> at the moment. Bourbons, malted milks, digestives, you name it. Would you want Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris there? No. Now, I asked a question, uh, and I knew we'd get an answer eventually. So the reason I mention them two is because Nadine Doris, I think they're on manoeuvres. Um, she's got a new TV show on Talk TV called Friday Night with Nadine. I can't imagine anything worse than that. Um, and there was uh, reports over the weekend is that, is that, that she... That, is that Gammon News or is that... No, that's GB TV. The both know. TV stations that have no viewers that I don't watch. Absolutely. Uh, but they're getting more viewers, uh, but not me, um, just for the sake of uh, avoidance of any doubt. She may have broken the ministerial code in the process in terms of taking this new role at Talk TV. But she's not um, a minister anymore. No, no, no. But um, apparently the reports are that, um, you know, she, well, you she, wait. she may have infringed. She may have infringed some sort of, mm. some sort of process. Um, her first interview, uh, her first interviewee will be with her chum, Boris Johnson. Oh. Absolutely, God. you know. That will be absolutely awful. Be I will awful. not be watching that. It'll be awful. Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, he'll be hosting his own chat show on GB News as well. Deanna Davison, who uh, is, who uh, I mentioned earlier, didn't turn up to the convention last week, is tipped to be eyeing up a job in the media when she stands down in the next general election. She'll only be 31. The point I'm making, Michael, is I think you're seeing a lot of Conservative MPs uh, on manoeuvres because they don't know if they're going to be in a job post-next general election. Do you agree? Um Yes, but I don't. Be, I don't think that meets our definition of being on manoeuvres. I think that meets the definition of being on the move. And I'm glad you've mentioned it because it gives me an opportunity to say how much I dislike Nadine Dorries, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and Boris Johnson. So I actually don't care about any of them. But what I do want to mention is someone who I do think is doing things that are interesting, that is manoeuvring around, and that is the TV presenter Carol Vorderman. The former Countdown presenter has been a real clarion against corruption, calling out her former friend, Michelle Moan, calling out Nadim Zahawi, and she's been doing so, and she cites her own tough background, growing up in North Wales, in Prestatyn and Rill, and, and, and saying, do you know what, we had a hard time, People, kids shouldn't be in poverty, and this lot. She just thinks it's morally reprehensible. Maybe it's related to the fact that she's a, a devout and practicing Catholic. I don't know. Uh, with a great commitment to social justice. She did used to do some work for David Cameron on maths education. So she's pulled absolutely no punches. And she's denied that she is looking for a role in politics, despite a lot of her friends encouraging her to do so. I'd personally like to take this opportunity to thank Carol for her spectacularly good Sudoku tips, which have enabled me to get to challenging level after all these years. I think what is interesting is um, the role of people outside mainstream politics in politics now, and politicians have to recognise that they have a real influence, and Carol Vorderman has a real influence. I get the impression with Carol Vorderman is that, I think I might have saying she recently celebrated quite a landmark birthday, and she is... Yeah, she's 60, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, and she, she's of the view that, actually, I'm not going to sit quiet uh, and say nothing about things that I disagree with strongly. She used to be best friends with, uh, or, or close friends with Michelle Moan, and they used to go on holiday together and all sorts. And the whole issue of the uh, PPE contract, she found morally reprehensible and she's called it out she called out uh, Nadim Sahawi last week uh, and before um, I think the point is is that when there's a legitimate case I think absolutely you know go for it and all power to your elbow um, I think Cal Vorderman is a breath of fresh air um, and she sort of said to Michelle Moan, if you want to sue me, sue me. I'll see you in court. And no, that was on uh, this morning, wasn't it, on TV? 
But she knows, Carol Vorderman knows how to play the media as well. Yeah. She knows how to get her message across. And uh, Carol, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, um, Jonathan Boyers, ex of KPMG, who was on Twitter today and has asked me to interview, to uh, invite you to join me and Michael on Northern Spin. So right. the invite is there. If you fancy a trip down the beach at Rill, we'll be at your also, service. Michelle Moan as well. You know, I think it's important that if Michelle Moan wants to put her side of the story forward as well. Uh, Michelle, you are invited to uh, Northern Spin as well and you can give us your side of the story as well. We'll get on Dougie Barrowman's ocean going yacht. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. Right, that's it. Time for an interval. See you after the break. Welcome back to the third and final part of Northern Spin, the bit we sometimes like to call the fun bit, where we talk a little bit about culture and arts and music and fashion and all sorts of stuff. Don't we, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And my wife said to me, she listened to the podcast over the weekend, um, where we were up to 29 in the podcast charts uh, this morning. Really? We, yeah, we had That's lots great. of... What was, what was really interesting, we went up 30 places over the weekend. So people like to uh, listen to the podcast over the weekend, including my wife. And she said, she said, tell Michael that he's not doing enough about you know his attempts to get you to be more northern. Ah. So I'm aware of that. So this is a uh, shout out to Mrs. M. Okay, so what about dressing a little bit more northern? I absolutely tentatively tiptoe around this subject, given I'm literally sat with Mr. Mann at Slater Menswear <laughs> next to me. Um, but observing Andy Burnham at the Convention of the North, I mentioned in the first section when we were talking about him, his, his, you know, his garb and the, the efforts that he does. You know, he's wearing all the right gear, but um, I think I'd like to get my mate Neil set on him to think about dress codes at work. But let's just talk about this, because... My mate Tony Teasdale, who's a Scouse fashion journalist uh, based in London, he, he wrote a great piece about Stanley Tucci, TV presenter, actor, who dresses like the coolest people on the planet, Italian pensioners. Yeah. yeah? And, um, and then, and there's me thinking, I like that look. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll rock that. And I wear what I want generally nowadays. I've, I've been involved in jobs before where I've hated having to dress like man at, T.M. Lewin. Um, and then I get a call from <laughs> the guy that I work for at Blackburn Rovers who says, yeah, um, we've all got to be suited and booted. And they got me a nice silk tie and I had to dust off this old Paul Smith suit. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, I felt dead uncomfortable. So what do you think? What about dress codes at work? Well, you're wearing a tie. Nobody I know wears a tie anymore. Yeah, apart from me at Blackburn Rovers no, on Saturday. No, actually, and I saw your work. picture. I saw your picture on Twitter, and I laughed out loud. Actually, um, <laughs> but I do think why no because you've got this aversion to ties, and you almost feel the need to. In fact, you probably wake up, um, you know, with a flat cap, um, and you walk in to the no, podcast that we. You walk into the podcast that we do every Monday. And you, you know, you're never going to wear a tie, nor should you. You dress appropriately to the audience. Um, so the idea of you wearing It's literally a, tie, a radio program, but yeah, yeah. The idea of you wearing a, a, a tie, I mean, it's almost like your fans. It's almost like, you know, your friends on Fresh Walks. If they saw you in a tie, you know, would they, would they still like you? Well, I think lots of the people who go on Fresh Walks are, uh, you know, very professional, successful business people. They absolutely are, actually. And, they, who, who, and who I have no doubt, as they're listening to this in their places of work, are wearing shirts and tops. But I, no, this is a more general point, Chris. I think the world's moved on. I agree. I very, very rarely see people in shirts and ties anymore. 
I, I wear a shirt and tie, um, and uh, ex- except with the first ever episode that we did, uh, and then people commented on why was I wearing a T-shirt for. I feel comfortable trying to look smart. You know, I can't offer any advice on fashion, let's be honest, and, and I think even you would agree with that. I mean, even the combo I've got today, uh, you know, it looks like I got dressed in the dark, and I did. No comment. Uh, so no, absolutely. It's the tie doesn't match the shirt, but I feel comfortable. When I uh, wearing this, when I was the editor of the um, Chorley Guardian for six years, the biggest newspaper in Chorley, I used to say to the members of staff, because they used to ask about dress sense and I used to say look if you meet somebody on reception and that person you meet on reception could have just lost somebody or they could be um, they want to tell you about um, they want to tell you about their grandchild who's just you know scored a hat trick you've got to dress appropriately to that person so you know you know down to you and I used to put the emphasis over to them and and actually they never ever let me down right interesting that isn't it Um, I mean I personally I preferred not to but there you go I love the story, actually, about General Motors in America. Big corporation. They employ, obviously, people who work in factories, people who employ in sales rooms, offices, all the rest of it, tech people. They used to have a 36-page dress policy, yeah, that all their managers had to uh, digest, understand, and, and therefore, obviously, implement. A new CEO came in, and they reduced it to two words, dress appropriately and i love that because it gives people agency it treats them as adults and encourages teams encourages teams to be responsible and this then comes back to politics and how politicians dress andy burnham dresses very differently now than he did when he was mayor i saw a picture of him recently with prince charles and he's wearing a suit and in all the time that, I, that last year when i sort of worked in and around the labor machine in greater manchester the only time i saw andy suited and booted was when gordon brown came to town and I th- he even made the point at the time that, well, you know, the old boss is here, so I better spruce up and wear a white shirt and blue suit. But um, but I think that's changing, and I think it's quite refreshing. Yeah, I think it is. It's about being authentic as yeah. well. Now, the women politicians, I'm not going there because Tracy Brabin and Angela Rayner have had all sorts of dogs abuse for for how they wear, and I'm not I'm not I'm not going down that route. But how the blokes dress, you know, it's um, I think it, it's interesting and negotiable. Horses for courses, and yeah. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing more pictures of you in your shirt and tie at well, Blackburn Rovers. Well, all right then. So last week, tell us about, um, we, we did Banker Dave. What have you been watching on Netflix? Well, I tell you what's interesting is, it's where this podcast is going and where you don't expect it to go when we started it. And we talk about some of the TV and cinema movies that we've watched recently. And um, and we mentioned Banker Dave, which is, I think, number one or number two on Netflix. I watched another film over the weekend, which is now number one on Netflix, called You People with uh, Eddie Murphy. That's really good. I recommend that one. Enjoyed that one. Um, so Mrs. M dragged me to the cinema uh, last week to watch a film called Babylon. I didn't ask anything about it. I just went. Stars Margot Robbie, who's a brilliant actress, incidentally, and Brad Pitt. He's a great actress. How old do you reckon Brad Pitt is now? 50. 59. I couldn't believe wow, it. 59. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. This film, wait for it, lasted three hours, nine minutes. Right, three hours, nine minutes. It was absolutely huge. It was really long. I bought a chocolate orange to eat because I don't know about you, I never actually get sweets from a cinema. I always like put them in my pockets beforehand. You get a chocolate orange for a pound. I'd eaten it. You know, you don't have to smuggle them in. No, you don't. They can't stop you. No, I bought a, um, I bought some, uh, I bought a pot of tea as well. I knew it was going to be a long film. I finished my chocolate orange before the credits. Um, My wife described it as a visual assault, this film. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's, it's interesting, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit, um, it's a bit raunchy, if you know what I mean. Um, maybe not my cup of tea. But uh, you spend a lot of time educating me about the north, and there's a program I want to 
educate you about. Uh, it's London-based. It raises some really big issues. It's called South of the River. You mentioned earlier about my love of football or not. A massive football fan. Um, massive. So massive, I'm going to tell you how massive I am. But I watched a programme at the weekend with Rio Ferdinand, and it's called South of the River. And it looks at how South London has become one of the uh, real productive breeding grounds or the most productive breeding ground for uh, Premier League footballers. And it's fascinating because within like a 10-mile radius, they've produced, I think, 14% of the Premier League footballers. Because what you've got is you've got this situation where you've got a lot of kids, um, black kids, growing up on uh, inner city estates where you've got big problems with knife crime and gangs. And they've got these, they call them these, 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 these pens, these fences, these, these, these um, you know, fenced in, in uh, you know, football pitches. And, and they, they, they see that as an opportunity to 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 give their themselves and their families better futures and um, Rio Ferdinand grew up in Peckham. I mean, there's a blue plaque on the wall saying that's where he grew up. Fantastic program, really inspiring. Okay. Some real, real uh, role models there. So I recommend that to you. It's called South of the River with Rio Ferdinand. Very good, thank you. I will. What check have you that watched? What have you watched? Well, I've done a bit of a recap um, on on my blog about uh, the the different box sets, series, and stuff. Obviously, I'm been watching Happy Valley. Um, I'm one episode behind. No spoilers, please. No, I haven't um, watched I've, last night's so no. But what me and Rachel have been watching and um, is Fowder, which it's on its fourth series. It's an Israeli series, and it is absolutely phenomenal. It's one of the best series I have ever seen. How do you spell Fowder? F A U D A. It's uh, it's Hebrew for chaos, and it's about a hit squad within the Israeli security services. And honestly, reading the news at the weekend brought absolute hairs up on the back of my neck, having watched the end of the fourth series, because all the actions set around a Palestinian refugee camp on the West Bank called Jenin, which has been this, you know, the focal point. Now, lots of these these series, I, I watched one called Cleo last year about uh, about East Germany and the Stasi, which I think is always very it's very visual. Uh, I think the whole breakdown of Germany is a great sort of tapestry and a background for dramatic effect. But it kind of ends because Germany is a more stable and settled society now and it kind of will peter out the whole Stasi psychodrama. The Israeli thing, on the other hand, it just it's the dramatic gift that keeps on giving. Now, that's not too unkind for me to say that, that it's just purely for my own entertainment because it is people's lives. But they bring it to dramatic effect. And if you've got any kind of purchase, any interest and at all, in the whole situation, Israel-Palestine, and the really volatile situation with a very right-wing, oppressive Israeli government at the moment, and the desperate situation that it must be living in Gaza or the West Bank for Palestinians, then this series absolutely captures it. Where can Brilliant. I watch that? Where can I watch it? Netflix. Netflix. Okay, I'll give that a go. But we're on the fourth season now, and it's, whoa, just, just finished it, and I'm absolutely floored by it. Okay. Never seen anything like it. Okay, well, I'll give that a go. Yeah, that's quite the pitch, actually, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right, before we finish, I know you've got a pet hate word which uh, you want to share with us. Yeah, I listen to a lot of political podcasts, and the word that you're hearing a lot at the moment is barnacles. And um, I hear it, and I think it's just been thrown into every conversation, you know, far too liberally for my liking. And it dates back to the uh, conservative strategist, Linton Crosby, came up with this strategy of getting the barnacles off the boat, i.e. get rid of the non-important stuff, just focus on the big stuff. And now what happens is every political journalist uses this term, 
barnacles. So Nadim Zahawi is now a barnacle that he has been got off the boat. And I'll just send political journalists as well, you know, stop using the word barnacles in every sentence. And I guarantee you, our, our listeners of the Northern Spin podcast will be listening to podcasts and interviews this weekend and they'll hear the term barnacles mentioned and we've got to put a stop to it. Well, you've done it about four times there. So but that's the last time we'll ever use that. Okay. Very good. Do you know, I was a big fan of Tintin. In fact, I still am actually. I've got a couple of Tintin posters in my house. I think it was one of the great comic um, graphic novels of my youth and I've, uh, and it's, you know, graphic novels is something I'm really into. And there's a character in it called Captain Haddock who was twin Tintin's alcoholic seafaring mate. And one of his catchphrases was thundering typhoons <laughs> and one of his others was blistering barnacles. <laughs> it was obviously highlighting the fact that he was a real potty mouth, yeah. um, but obviously the couldn't Can't swear because it was, was kid, kid stuff, but blistering barnacles. Anyway, that's all for the ninth episode of season two of Northern Spin. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Please, reviewers, give us a five-star rating. Give us a nice review. Tell your friends and family to give it a listen. Don't forget to press the subscribe button if that's there on the services that you use. Follow us on Twitter at northern underscore spin one or watch us on YouTube. Thank you once again to What Media for producing the podcast. Our sponsors... Oscar Technology and Lily Shippen, and our music producer, Elliot Taylor. My name is Michael Taylor. And as always, my name is still Chris McGuire. Happy clappy. <laughs>